The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. Obviously, the excitement is building as we get closer and closer to the Breeders' Cup for the first time ever at Keeneland Race Course. So this is going to be an all-handicapping show after we cover national news and last week's recaps, mostly from Parks Racing, where they had a huge day. In the first segment, I managed to land East Coast Daily Racing Form handicapper Matt Bernier, and he's going to help us dissect this week's three grade one stakes from Belmont, and possibly I can fit in the Pilgrim, uh, but that would be the uh, $400,000 Beldame, uh, the $400,000 Vosburg, and the $600,000 Joe Hirsch Turf Classic Invitational. Then we go out to my main man on the West Coast, Jay Privman. He's going to try, we'll see if we can get them all in, to cover the grade one stakes at Santa Anita. You definitely want to either be there or be somewhere where you can watch these races. you got the $300,000 Awesome again, the $300,000 Chandelier stakes, quarter million dollar Zenyatta stakes, and the $300,000 Front Runner, along with the $300,000 Rodeo Drive stakes. So... When you get ready for these big races on the East and West Coast, be sure to go to winningponies.com. Pull down your easy win forms. Hope you did earlier this week. Uh, at Belmont, we got a $2 pick six that paid over $21,000. In the Mid-Atlantic, uh, two scores at Laurel, a 50-cent super that paid over $10,000, and a $1 super, $7,659. Had a good week at Mountaineer uh, on the 14th, we had a 50 cent super that paid over 5,900, and then we had a one dollar super that paid 3,400, and a 50 cent super five that was the key, 2,802 dollars. Well, I just want to give a shout out to GD Hieronymus. It was nice to be on with us uh, the other week and. Uh, Got to see him in person uh, down. It was just such a gorgeous week in Kentucky. Decided to go down to the Keeneland Sale for no special reason other than to take some photos and meet some friends and uh, had a great time. I uh, ended up going out to dinner with uh, longtime jockey Johnny Oldham and his beautiful wife Susie and uh, Karu Tushia, who was a former rider here in the Midwest. She hails from Japan. And Julie Cagno that was on the show about three weeks ago, the world traveler. So it was great catching up with them and a lot of other people. The horse flesh just looked fantastic. Um, 
it looks like the sales remaining pretty strong. Uh, cumulative figures through the first 10 sessions of the 12-day sale. Uh, they've sold over 2,300 horses for 276 million, slightly ahead of last year's 11-day gross. The average of 117,406 rose 4.1% over last year. So uh, the big bucks are down there in Lexington, Kentucky. The sale runs through Saturday, and you can actually watch it if you want to on Keeneland.com. Now, here's some really good news. Shared belief has gone to jogging. First time since he was injured in April. As you recall, he suffered a hip fracture in the Charlestown Classic. He started jogging at the Pegasus Training and Rehab Center in Washington State on Monday. This was the first time on the track since the injury. And it was announced by none other than sportscaster Jim Rome on Twitter. Now, uh, where he's at, uh, Pegasus, it has a polytrack surface. It's where Hollendorfer, uh, who not only trains and co-owned Shared Belief, uh, had him do his rehab. He also had uh, blind luck there, had some pretty good luck with her winning the Kentucky Oaks. Now, just to rattle your cage, we're not sure when he's going to come back. Not expected probably to race again next year. He's a four-year-old gelding now. Recall he was the champion two-year-old male of 2013. Uh, His first loss after seven Straight victories came in the Breeders' Cup Classic when he was bumped and bothered. Rather contentious race. It will be for the history of Breeders' Cup discussions. Uh, but uh, he won three straight after that, the Malibu, the Santa Anita, both grade one races. But then, of course, he was pulled up at Charlestown. He's now won over $2.9 million. So shared belief. Looking forward to seeing you run next year. Well, there's a filly we won't see run. It was just announced that Embellish the Lace has been retired with a leg injury. It was discovered following her fifth place and disappointing finish in the Cotillion Stakes at Parks Racing. You may recall that Embellish the Lace won the Alabama Stakes at Saratoga for trainer Tony Dutrow. Uh, She finished her career with three wins from six starts, earnings of 441 thousand uh she's got a chip there might be a tendon but they say that she's uh, not in any pain and uh the the owners have decided to run her through the phasic tipped in november sale just following the breeders cup so there'll be some money people there that might want to pick up uh embellish the lace uh, she's got a nice pedigree she's by super saver she's from a live family her half brother is a fleet express who won the 2010 traverse stakes and she's also from the family of 2015 florida derby winner materiality so uh, embellish the lace. Next time you see her, we'll be in a sales ring. Well, I hope you were tracking some of the races at Kentucky Downs. I told you it's a just a fantastic uh, place uh, to see the races. Well, they had a record handle for their meet uh, on Saturday. Uh, they had a single-day handle of 5071000 The gross handle for, for the 48 race, not 48 day, 48 race meet was nearly $16.9 million. How about the purses that are fueled by the slot-like historical racing machines? This, our purses now grossed $6,563,000, up 38% last year. That's an average per race of $136,000. When you got that kind of money, you get big fields. 
10.6 horses per race. Favorites won 12 of the 48 races. Who took down that top honors? Well, Ken and Sarah Ramsey were the leading owners with four winners, while their main trainer, Mike Maker, he was the leading trainer with eight wins, including three straight in the Saturday finale. Florent Giroux, despite riding elsewhere on closing day, tied Rafael Bayerano's 2004 record for the most winners with 12, while setting a record for mount earnings with $1.1 million. So with that said, no big surprise that he got Jockey of the Week. All right, a couple other uh, big three-year-olds. It looks like Tale of Herb and Super Colossal are hopping on planes, and they're going to show up on Sunday in the grade three $400,000 Oklahoma Derby, and we'll see who comes out on top. Of course, Taylor Verve was the runner-up in the Preakness, and Super Colossal was the runner-up in the West Virginia Derby. So uh, they will match strides in the Oklahoma Derby. Again, that race is on Sunday. Now, Keen Ice, who shocked Triple Crown winner American Pharaoh in the Travers, returned to the work tab for the first time when he went easy four furlongs at Churchill uh, about five days ago. The uh, son of Curlin's come to hand this summer for Dale Romans, and he feels like he's really starting to peak. I know that he was eligible for non-winners at two when he went into the Travers, but they feel like uh, he just took a little while to uh, mature, and he's really got talent, and he's figured out how to run. Uh, Dale Romans credits Kent DeSormo with uh, some of his development, helping him to learn to switch leads a little bit better. So uh, Keen Ice getting ready to match strides with American Pharaoh, and we do believe beholder good news here is that flavian pratt well he's up and walking without even a walker he's going to be uh, released from the hospital and he's going to begin rehabilitation right away uh he was on his feet this week for the first time since his injuries uh he did have a chest tube removed and uh they say he's walking very good he's actually walking alone and but he still is going to need three months in a body brace before considering a timetable for return. So good luck to Flavian. Again, Florent Giroux, he won a grade one race and the riding title this week. So he got Jockey of the Week award for September. Um, he had a grade one win on Saturday at Parks and another five-win day at Kentucky Downs. So you got to figure when he gives up uh, 13 mounts, uh, at Kentucky Downs to ride it, to ride a horse, uh, you, you better keep an eye out. And that horse was um, a chatterbox who took down the $1 million cotillion stakes at Parks on Saturday. All right, well, before we get to some of our uh, race results, uh, let's find out who is the hottest stud in the land. And it certainly was reflected in the sales numbers at Keeneland. Number one is Tappet. Number two, Medaglia Dioro. Three is Candy Ride. Four, Giants Causeway. Five, Pioneer of the Nile. Six, Spitestown. Seven, Curlin. And eight, Malibu Moon. Nine, Kittens Joy. And tenth is Scat Daddy. All right, let's take a quick look now at the races that we looked at Last week, our friend Jude Feld was on with us as a handicapper. And again, a lot of the action happening at parks. First race we looked at was the Gallant Bob. What a story there must be here. The wire-to-wire winner, who held on by a neck, was Troubled Kid. Troubled Kid, three races ago, 
was claimed for $15,000. I'm not sure what Ramon Presidio found out about this horse, but he turned him into an unbelievable speedster, won back-to-back races, going wire to wire, and now it's three in a row. Goes from a $15,000 claimer to the winner of a grade three $300,000 race in just three races. He held on by a neck over the odds-on favorite, Limousine Liberal, who was second in the King's Bishop behind Run Happy. And in the third spot was Bayard, a long shot at 13-1. to uh, following that was the grade one cotillion. We already showed our hand here a little bit. I'm a chatterbox. Florin Giroux, beautifully patient ride, drew off to win for trainer Larry Jones by two. This was Jude Feld's top pick in here. So I'm a chatterbox, got the job done. Uh, finishing uh, second was Calamity Kate. She uh, tried to steal it. She set all the pace at 22 to one, uh, but held on for the second spot. And third at 6-1 to one was a Jude's long shot pick, Peace and War. Then we move on to the PA Derby, and uh, certainly the Travers may have told us something about this. Frosted won easy as the even money favorite. Uh, he was crowded. He waited. He got cleared. Now, he had Joel Rosario back in the saddle. As you may recall, Joel Rosario was injured just two races before the Travers. Jose Lescano picked up the mount and decided to press American Pharaoh as much as he could. And uh, obviously, this was not his running style. Came back under Joel and won the Pennsylvania Derby easy. Iron Fist at 10 to 1 was second by a whopping eight lengths over Tommy Macho. And then we did have another uh, graded race. It was at Churchill Downs, the Dogwood. The winner was the favorite, Super Majesty. This could be some super kind of horse. Now has four lifetime races, three wins, and a close second by a nose. Super Majesty, trained by Jerry Hollendorfer. This guy is everywhere with hot horses. In the second spot was Chide, who put in a huge late run. And third was the seventh, Sweet Singing. All right, that's a look at last week's action and the national news. Coming up, we're going to New York with Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum. You're listening to Winning Ponies. It's a beauty. It's a fly ball, deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports... Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? 
Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and I am so lucky to spend some time with Matt Bernier again. He's been very generous uh, coming on Winning Ponies o- over the last year. Uh, it's been first saw this guy when he was on Horse Players. I wish that show was still on. I loved it. Um, and uh, I think that's where he really kind of impressed the people with the daily racing form. They ended up giving him a job. Before I know it, he's sitting side by side by Dan Illman. And now a couple months later, I look up at national TV, the biggest races in the country, and there's Matt standing there giving his picks. Matt, well, describe the roller coaster ride you've been on over the last couple of years. Oh, boy. You know, starting way back at the beginning of the TV show and even before that qualifying for the NHC uh, to see where how far things have come in such a short amount of time. I know we're getting into saying it's two, three years, but it's really just kind of turned my life on its head. Uh, luckily, all for the for the better, and, and you know, knock on wood, things continue to progress as nicely as they have. Well, I'll tell you what, you really do uh, have a great presence on 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 television. Hey, had you done anything like that before? No, I have a lot of people ask me, you know, why. I, apparently, I do come across a little bit uh, relaxed or, or calm anyway, and I think I really can't stress enough that I think that the doing the TV show, doing the horse player show. Just it made you, it forced you to be comfortable in front of the camera because they were always there. At the very beginning, when we first started the show, it was something that really threw me for a loop where I couldn't help but be looking at the cameras. And they said, "You've really got to pretend that we're not here." And and luckily, just the way things have kind of progressed, now being in front of a camera is just kind of second nature for me. Yeah, it really is something. It's nothing you can practice for as, as one that's uh, had several uh, shows, all of them canceled now, of course, but. Uh, it's really nothing you can practice. It's something you've got to get comfortable with, and you've got to just pretend maybe you're talking to a bunch of your friends on the other side of that camera. And it also helps to have a nice co-host that you can kind of, you know, go back and forth with and that feeds you the right questions. Well, and that's been the beautiful thing, you know, here at the Racing Forum with Dan Elman. He's, you know, he kind of, he can drive the ship any direction that we want to go in, and, and I can just kind of bounce things off of him, so... It goes very well back and forth. But like you say, I mean, I, I think you bring up a very good point as far as the camera is concerned. I, I try to explain to my friends and family that, you know, I'm, I don't feel like I'm talking to however many people are watching. I'm really just talking to one person who happens to be standing there with a camera in front of them, and I just kind of roll with it like that. Well, you're, you're doing a great job at it. What are your plans coming up for the Breeders' Cup? Uh, actually, I'll be headed down to Keeneland next week, and we'll be doing two shows on NBC on Saturday and Sunday for Keeneland, and then... I'll be down at, back at Keeneland in Lexington for the entire week at the Breeders' Cup. So we'll be doing all sorts of different things going on. Busy schedule coming up, but it's all positive stuff. That's, that's great. That's great. And I, and I am going to go out of my way and bother you and come up and see you in person. I know we've only spoken on the radio, but uh, you're, you're not far from my backyard, so I will be down there. But right now, I know you're in New York. Got some big races coming up this week, and i really probably not giving you enough time to, to talk about them as we should. But let's start with, with the uh, grade one Bell Dame of $400,000. Uh, it looks like uh, Carolina's kind of Biting off a big piece here. She's a three-year-old filly taking on some uh, very talented mares. Uh, in my opinion, wedding toast looks like she's got the most as far as credentials are concerned in this field. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. The only real question we have about wedding sales at this point is physically, is she ready to go? She's been gone for a little while, but if you go back and watch the tape of that Ogden Phipps from Belmont Stakes Day, I thought she was fantastic, and she clearly loves Belmont. She's four for five there, five for five in the exacta, and really, she could, you can make the case that she is the lone true speed in this race. If she bounces back to that form that we saw last time she was out, uh, I think she's going to be very tough to beat, but at a short price, I wouldn't fault anyone for going anywhere else. Well, too bad there's not too many other places to go. I, it's, uh, sh- it's shocking in this day and age that you see a grade one and only draws a half a dozen. And I think that's the thing, too. You know, we talk about the Breeders' Cup. We all love the Breeders' Cup, but I think these used to be the races that essentially decided division champions. And now there's so much onus and focus on the Breeders' Cup. These races, I don't want to say they've kind of taken a back seat, but they've become the preps for the final kind of showing. So you look at this and you say, we've only got six for a grade one. It's a good opportunity for some of these other fillies and mares to try to get in and get a grade one placing and earn that, you know, ever valuable black type. But I agree with you. I mean, as far as the races, especially particularly at Belmont on Saturday, it seems like we've got a lot of short fields. Not to say that we don't have quality horses running, but we've got short fields. And if you can beat these heavy favorites, then you can hopefully unlock some sort of a big score. But uh, you're going to need to do a little bit of a little bit of searching and try and get a little bit creative. Well, with that said, uh, we'll uh, turn the distance back to six and a half furlongs. Uh, the Grade Two Gallant Bloom. Uh, at this point, you certainly uh, have to put a ring around uh, Laver Dad o- over her current form, uh, coming in with four straight stakes wins, uh, three of those graded, and certainly if you can put a line through. Uh, the ballerina, Dame Dorothy, is, is going to be uh, Philly to deal with, too. They look like the two that kind of rise to the top with me. You might want to make me stand corrected. No, I, I think you're right on as far as that's concerned. You look at Laverdad, and, I mean, if she runs her race, she's very clearly the horse to beat in here. I think there are a couple of things that we can poke holes in, though. I know she's three for three lifetime in the exact going six and a half furlongs. I truly believe in my heart of hearts that she is – Stone cold, three quarters, six furlongs is what she wants. And once you start pushing her out past that distance, that's when she gets a little bit vulnerable. Uh, it's also worth noting that she's had a little bit of a, a physical issue where she's had a little bit of soreness. And that's why she didn't run up at Saratoga when they had planned on running her back toward the end of August. Um, boy, look, she's rock solid. If she shows up and shows that good early speed that she's accustomed to, she'll be difficult. The one thing I'll say about Dan Dorothy, and maybe this is just a personal thing that I've always had with her, I've yet to really believe that she's run a, a seriously quality race. I think a lot of people are going to go back and look at that Humana Distaff when she got that grade one and say, well, you know, you beat the champion, Judy the Beauty, and there's no knocking that, there's no discrediting that, but let's also call it for what it is. Judy the Beauty, her two worst races of her career, you can make the case, both came at Churchill Downs. I don't think she truly loves that strip, and when you look at the way that she ran that day, I just think it was a combination of things. And then that bed of roses, it was really difficult for me to give Dame Dorsey too much credit when she got a half mile in a seven-furlong race in 47-3. and three. Coming into the ballerina, I wanted to play against her. Unfortunately, I picked the wrong horse. They picked room for me, who will also be running in this spot. But this is another race where, just as far as the overall sequence of the day is concerned, if you're playing a pick four, this is a kickoff, kickoff leg. Uh, it's going to be difficult to beat Laverdad if she shows up with her A game. 
Well, you, you made a very good point. You know, they say that every horse's best distance can be measured with a yardstick. And Laverdad last year was in the Gallant Bloom and was on top by four turning for home and ended up getting beat just by a head. But I will say, uh, perhaps pushed along a little bit, 43-3 and three for the half, asking a lot of any horse. But it's, it's a good point, you know. The, but uh, comes in here, I know the Daily Racing Forum buyers are something I take a lot of credibility in. And if you compare her to the others in these fields, she comes in with three straight 100-plus buyers, and uh, she's going she's gonna to be dangerous. We'll see if she can get that, get that extra half a furlong. Well, uh, the, the Vosburg, uh, six furlongs. We're going to get the boys here. Uh, it's a win and you're in for the Breeders' Cup Sprint. My question to you, because I think the, probably the horse is going to draw the most attention, and certainly the horse for course is Rockfall. Uh, the horse has only been beaten once, and that was in its maiden race. They made a jockey change. Reminds me of American Pharaoh a little bit. Um, <laughs> do, 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 do you feel that those, if you look at it in the form, that you see that there were some spaces between uh, its last four races for the most part. Do you think those were planned spacing by Todd Pletcher, or do you think this is a horse that, for whatever reason, needs that time between races? Well, you know, you can look at it one of two ways. Like you say, I think we have to note that Todd Pletcher is the trainer, and Pletcher's notorious with his three-year-old, not necessarily with his older horses, but with his three-year-olds for mapping out very strict campaigns giving him a lot of time between starts, letting him kind of get back acclimated and recoup a little bit before they have to go back out and battle again. We have to note with Rockfall, you know, last June, this horse was really starting to come into his own, and then he disappeared, and he didn't show up again until early March here at Gulfstream Park. So clearly he hasn't been the most physically sound horse throughout his career. I know he's only a four-year-old, but I think at this point, after he had that long injury-induced layoff, I think this has probably been the plan. Let's just kind of map out like a lot of trainers do at this point, let's go in reverse. Let's start with the Breeders' Cup, because that's ultimately what everyone's goal is. And let's work our way backwards and try and give him ample time to kind of, you know, get recouped and, and re-energized before he has to go back out. Look, he is strictly, if he runs any of his last three races, he is he's going to walk over this field. The big beast almost got him last time in the Vanderbilt, and I can make a case that if John Velasquez hadn't accidentally dropped the stick, the big beast would have beaten him. That's no, no discredit to Rockfall, but let's also keep in mind there is no big beast in this field. Rockfall is head and shoulders the horse to beat in here, but I wouldn't fault anyone that wants to take a shot against a horse who at a very short price, he's going to be in that two to three to five range. And Dan Elman and I were talking about it a little bit. You go back and watch that Vanderbilt. You know, at the top of the lane, he's coming down and he's running very well, but his head's cocked a little bit. He's looking out at the grandstand a little bit. It didn't look like the same horse we saw in the true north or winning that race so impressively at Keeneland. So I think he's personally, I think he's a single, but I wouldn't fault anyone that wants to take a shot. At well, uh, moving on to another uh, Belmont Park win and you're in on Saturday, uh, the grueling distance of a mile and a half, though this will be on the turf. Um, I, I, my eye really can't be drawn to any one horse because I think uh, perhaps the, uh, the, a pace scenario could change this whole race. Um, you've got Red Rifle who can, who can set or sit off the pace. You've got Big Blue Kitten who will be in a different time zone for the first half mile. Uh, then you've got Twilight Clips who's so happy that Main Sequence got retired. Uh, and you've got Shining Copper that we probably figure will be the horse that will say, catch me if you can. How do you read the pace scenario in this, and who do you like? Well, and this is the most fascinating thing about this race. The Shining Copper is essentially in its past two starts 
been a rabbit for Big Blue Kitten. Well, I think now the connections, Kenneth, Sarah Ramsey, Chad Brown, they may be thinking that this one can actually win because he's run so well in each of those two starts. I still think he is much more of that sort of optional claimer that he used to be compared to what we've seen recently. He's going to go out there. He's loose on the front end. I still think that you're going to be able to run him down at a mile and a half. Big Blue Kitten shows up each and every time. Red Rifle has turned into a really, really nice horse for Fletcher going long on the turf. Unfortunately, he ran into Flincher last time. who was a world-class animal. Uh, I'm going to go with a horse, and I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm going to go with a horse that I've never, ever liked, ever. But ever since Chad Brown put the blinkers on slumber for each of the past three starts, I think he's been a different horse, and maybe this is all he's needed all along. Draw a line through that Arlington Million. He had to steady pretty badly on the far turn, and that eliminated any chance that he had. But those two efforts prior, he had some issues in the U.N. at Monmouth, and I really think if he had clean run, he was going to win, not Big Blue Kitten. And as far as the Manhattan is concerned, he really took that field to bed. I, I think Slumber is sitting on a big one. If he can get back to it, he's going to be a little bit further back. He's going to have to deal with overcoming that pace situation we were talking about. But, again, I've never been a huge fan of his, but I really think now is the time for him. Well, Matt Bernier, I, I thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be with us. I know he has to do a lot of races in a short amount of time, but uh, uh, congratulations uh, on your uh, meteoric rise in uh, the, the racing game. And I look forward to meeting you down the road in Lexington, Kentucky at Keeneland in a week. Thank you, John. I look forward to seeing you. All right, take care. That was Matt Bernier from the Daily Racing Forum on the East Coast. Now we're going to go to our main man on the West Coast, and that's Jay Privman. And I'm giving him even more challenges than I gave Matt because he's got a slew of good races that he's going to see at Santa Anita. We're going to take a little bit of a break. When we come back, we're going to be with Jay Privman on Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. And back with one of my favorite people and guest on Winning Ponies, uh, the multiple award-winning Jay Privman. Uh, you not only see him on television, hopefully you read his columns in the daily racing form. He's going to be a very busy man, and that's why I thought I'd reach out and get him now because his head's going to be spinning as we get closer and closer to the Breeders' Cup. He's got a slew of good races at Santa Anita. But before we start actually looking at each race, I just want to talk to Jay a little bit. Jay, how are you doing? 
Good, John. Always good to be with you. Hey, um, what, what's, your, what's your whole read and feel about uh, a Beholder and her, her pointing to the classic and how that can change that whole game? Well, I mean, she certainly earned her way into the race by virtue of the way she won the Pacific Classic. And I think because of that, because of the fact that she's, I think, pretty much wrapped up the older Philly and Mary Clips Award for this year based on her record and compared to everybody else in the division, if she were to win on Saturday again against Phillies in the Zenyatta, I mean, why not roll the dice again in the Breeders' Cup Classic and go for the $5 million race and, and, and the chance to be the second female to win the race, but the first to do it on dirt. So I, I don't, uh, I mean, and she, like I said, she earned her way there by the way she won the Pacific Classic. She, she dominated that race. Oh, I, I got chills watching that race. It was unbelievable. You know, her first going a mile and a quarter, her first going against the boys, and she just made it look so easy. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. You know, you're going to have, you know, let's say the Breeders' Cup talking, you know, you're going to have these three-year-olds, you know, Keen Ice, American Pharaoh, uh, facing uh, this sensational filly and a very good uh, uh, older horses. Uh, obviously, Honor Code comes, comes right to the top. I mean, the, the scenario is setting up for one of the best races we may see in years. I agree. I mean, I, that was what I wrote about in the Friday Racing Forum was just sort of the overview of the classic and, and how good a field it can be on paper. I mean, as you and I know from having been around the game for a while, a lot of times these races look a lot better a month out than they actually end up being because inevitably or seemingly inevitably somebody drops out uh, because of a, a minor injury or something like that. So. Uh, hopefully the race will hold together, and if it does, it, the, the field is terrific. Because, like you said, just with those big three right at the top of American Pharaoh, Beholder, and Honor Code, I mean that's a that's a pretty good trifecta to, to, just to start. Uh, you're, you're not kidding. Well, uh, you, you're out there. You've had the chance to see uh, these horses run on the West Coast, probably most of the time in person. So let's start out with a win, and you're in for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Um, and the the race that uh, obviously is going to be the key one that's going to affect this was the Delmar Futurity. Uh, all these two-year-olds starting to stretch out a little bit longer, and certainly uh, Nyquist looked like he had no problem uh, stretching out, and now he's going to be asked to go a mile on the 16th. He's by Uncle Mo, who won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, and, of course, Swipe, who put in a game race against him in the Delmar Futurity, is going to be in there. Uh, are, is that the cream that rises to the top on the two-year-old division out there? I mean, they certainly look like the top two. As you mentioned, they were the first two in the Delmar Futurity. They also ran one-two in that order in the best pal as well. You know, Nyquist has more tactical early speed. Uh, he, he can be on or near the lead, but he's not a runoff kind of horse. And and I, I think he's going to be just fine going two turns. But I will say this for Swipe. I mean, I've, I've felt since I've watched him in the best pal that he just wants to go farther than he's been allowed to do so far. And I really do think he's got a chance to run a lot better around two turns. He is by Birdstone, uh, who was a Travers and a Belmont Stakes winner. And so I think Swipe will do well going two turns, but I think the natural ability of Nyquist, at least at, at this point in their careers, is probably going to be enough to get him home on, on Saturday. 
Well, with the recent passing of Yogi Berra, all I can say is it could be deja vu all over again <laughs> with uh, DeSormo uh, bringing in uh, another horse that really looks a lot like uh, Texas Red. Got this horse for a mere $5,000, and his brother's going to be riding it. I mean, you got another Casey Shadow uh, in, in the making here. Well, I mean, Swipe has certainly uh, uh, you know, done very, very well for that combination. Like you said, they did win the Breeders' Cup last year with Texas Red, and Texas Red obviously did better when he went around two turns. They can draw a lot of parallels to these two horses, though. I think Texas Red was a little more lightly raced at this point and looked like he had uh, a little more upside. But I, like I said, I do think Swipe's going to do better going around two turns, and I'm looking forward to seeing him stretch out. Well, we'll find out. That's the grade one front runner at, at Santa Anita. Uh, two races after that is the Zenyatta, and uh, I've got a feeling, Jay, that the race is for place. Yeah, it sure looks that way. I mean, it'd be pretty hard to pick against Beholder. She's so much better than these horses, and coming off that win in the Pacific Classic where she got the best fire speed figure of her career, ran the best race of her career, uh, it, it, it would take something pretty unforeseen to see her getting beaten here, but I mean we've seen it happen before. But it would be it would be hard to imagine uh, based on the way she's running and considering that she's running against. Yeah, I really think you know this is this is your your tri key if you're a gambler and and you go back there and I love the way that the, the racing form bold faces horses who have beaten each other in the past and all you need to do is uh, look at the inside eight horses and you just see the name Beholder pop up in almost all of the running lines so uh, you know it's, it's it's amazing so we'll find out if uh, my Monet can uh, it looks like the Tranquil uh, Lake uh, is kind of served as the uh, prep for several of these horses in here with uh, Wild in the saddle and my Monet. You've got a ever-improving uh, filly like uh, Big Book. Uh, so really, I just think you keep a holder on top and hope you like one of those other horses I may have mentioned or another one like My Sweet Addiction for that matter. Yeah, I mean, she's going to be one to five in this race, so it's kind of a maybe if you're looking to play in the race, if you think you can beat her, great. If not, you know, maybe she's the bingo free space in your pick-six play and Maybe you can cold punch a one-two exact. I actually thought my Monet ran a good race last time uh, in the Tranquility Lake. It was, she was part of a really hot pace, and I thought she held on well to be second. So, I mean, maybe you could take a shot with her, but I, I, it's not a race I'm going to get very much involved in. Well, uh, we mentioned the win in your end Breeders' Cup Juvenile. When we move to the Chandelier, grade one, 300,000, win in your end for Juvenile Phillies, I have to be honest, it kind of mirrors the front runner in that uh, you've got uh, Songbird and Pretty and Cool uh, matching strides again. They came out of the Del Mar debutante, and uh, Songbird now is two for two. Jerry Hollendorfer, I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, of course, big fan of Mike Smith, too. Uh, Songbird got the job done. She's had solid buyers. Uh, certainly can't take too much away from Pretty and Cool, but uh, how good did Songbird look against her in the Del Mar debutante? Well, she looked terrific in the Del Mar debutante, and I, I think she's going to do even better going around two turns. She's a huge filly, uh, and, and for her to have shown the kind of speed that she has in those first couple races, to me, has been pretty remarkable. I mean, she's just a giant of a, of a filly, and unlike the situation of Nyquist versus Swipe, I think Songbird's only going to get better around two turns, and I'm, I'm not quite that as bullish on 
pretty and cool going two turns. So to me, while I do think Nyquist is the horse to beat over Swipe, to me those horses are closer in their abilities than I think the situation in this race between Songbird and Pretty and Cool. I think Songbird is, is much better than Pretty and Cool right now, and I think the distance is only going to make Songbird that, that much better. Well, we've uh, obviously, once again, you don't have many horses that have had two-turn experience unless it was on the turf, and I guess that would be uh, land over sea and, and yodel song. If, if we think Pretty in School is maybe more of a little bit of a sprinter, is there a two-year-old filly in here that you think's got some upside and could maybe catch that second spot? Yeah, to me, it would be Jade Princess. Uh, I know her buyer figures look fairly light, but visually, I liked her race last time when she beat Baden's going two turns on dirt. Uh, I, I don't do my own fig, so I rely on, on what the fig show, and her numbers are, are light compared to some of the others in here, but she won like a horse who is going to get better with age, and she certainly bred to be any kind, so uh, I would I would maybe make her, I would put her in the second spot, uh, the other Baffert, not pretty and cool, but Jade Princess. Yeah, and again, a, a daughter of uh, right now, uh, currently North America's leading sire, Tappet, that was as was certainly attested to at the recent Keeneland sales. Uh, people were tripping over themselves to get their arm up uh, in, in the bid ring to, to get the tappets. It's just amazing how this stallion has taken off. Yeah, no, he's, he's had a, a tremendous uh, career. I mean, he's a terrific racehorse, but he's taken it to another level as a stallion. He really has, and uh, even his sons, uh, you know, uh, champion uh, Hanson, who really doesn't have much of a female family pedigree. I've been down to Keeneland several times in the last week. Um, his horses are so- selling for solid, so I really think that they're going to feel that uh, as strong as Tappet is as a stud, that uh, he, could, he could be a sire of sires down the road, but uh, we won't know that for for a few years. But let me tell you, they... They sure look good, and man, they got they got size, they got bone. He's got a lot of grays too, if that's what you like. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> no, tap it, throw, he definitely throws a lot of grays. But, but uh, so uh, Jade Princess would be potentially Jay's s- second pick. Uh, but Songbird looks like the horse again uh, by the second leading sire right now in the country. Uh, Medaglia Dioro is the sire of Songbird. So, again, the cream is is rising to the top, according to the, the, the breeding here. Of course, they paid some money for those horses. Jade Princess cost 775000 Songbird was a $400,000 purchase. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure the owners are, are expecting big things. But, again, you've got guys, guys like Bob Baffert and Jerry Hollendorfer, Hall of Famers. Uh, they're, they're in the right barns. Have you, have you noticed... Uh, over just the past several years, how the increase in quality of Jerry Hollendorfer's stock? Well, certainly so. I mean, when I think a lot of people thought of him as just sort of a Northern California phenomenon. And since he started bringing more horses to Southern California and really making that the focal point of his operation, the quality of his horses has gone up exponentially. I mean, you go back to horses like Blind Luck and more recently Shared Belief. I mean, he's just had a number of top-class horses and Breeders' Cup victory so i mean he's he's a tremendous trainer and i was very gratified when he got into the hall of fame a few years ago because he deserved it uh me too and let me tell you you, you see him down at keeneland you, you wouldn't even know who he was blue jeans and a white t-shirt <laughs> he's walking <laughs> he's by business. people 
<laughs> you know, and uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, if you had 10 people and you walked by, I'm not one of them, you know, other than people that are, you know, vested in the industry would have any idea like, do you know that guy's in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he just stays real quiet. He stays in that back ring. He's watching them. Obviously, I'm sure he's got clients, you know, uh, you know on speed dial uh, asking him to assess the horse flesh. But, yeah, he's a... Uh, He's uh, spending a little more money than he was a few years ago. I can guarantee you that. Well, uh, we were talking with Jay Privman uh, from the Daily Racing Forum uh, out on the West Coast there looking at the top races from Santa Anita. My uh, producer is telling me it's time to take a little bit of a break. So let's pay some bills, and then we'll come right back with Jay Privman on Winning Ponies. to the pros we, we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, award-winning writer who works for the Daily Racing Forum, Jay Privman. We've only got two more races to break down. That's going to be the Grade 1 Awesome Again and the Grade 1 Rodeo Drive. We've been kind of buzzing through these races. So before we get uh, back to Santa Anita, uh, Jay, I'm trying to figure out uh, what Keeneland is going to be like. A, they've never hosted this before. B, they're extremely professional, and I know that they have a plan, but uh, I'm just trying to figure out that Saturday when they have not only the Breeders' Cup, but there's a University of Kentucky football game. They shut off downtown for a huge Halloween party, and there's a big uh, jumping event out at the the horse park. How are people going to move in Lexington, Kentucky that week? I think you just need to pick your spot as to where you're going and allow plenty of time to, to get over there. Uh, you know, the, as you know, the horse park is the other end of town from the racetrack. So uh, in terms of for those of us who are going to be heading out to Keeneland, I think you just make a budget time to go out there early. Unfortunately, you're not going to be going the same direction as everybody who's headed towards the, uh, uh, you know, headed towards the, uh, the horse park. And then the football game is that night. And, you know, we'll be at the track during the day, and by the time the track lets out, everybody will be at the football game, so hopefully it'll all, I mean, it'll be a crowded area, a lot more people in town than usual, but I think it'll work out fine. 
Well, I, I hope they move along the construction because, like I told you, I've been going down and back to the Keeneland sales recently, and New Circle Road is a mess right now. And so I really hope they, they hurry that up. And I'm sure they've got a system in place where only so many people are going to be able to get near Keeneland, period, to park. They're already uh, having shuttles come from the horse park to Keeneland, from Rupp Arena to Keeneland. So I'm sure they're telling the, 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 the folks in the Lexington area, hey, if you're planning on going out there, here's the only way you're going to get there, and that's if you come on one of the shuttle buses because there's just not going to be room. And I know that they've, uh, they've set up different tents and areas for people to kind of get the Breeders' Cup experience, but they're not going to be able to watch a live race. Well, the... the track itself is just not big enough to handle the kind of crowd that Santa Anita or Keeneland would be, so the attendance is capped, and I think they're trying to just do the, all the smart things they can to, to plan ahead of time. I mean, this is not the first time the Breeders' Cup has had a Breeders' Cup event at a, what's considered to be a smaller sort of racetrack, you know, Arlington Park or even Lone Star, and they've successfully handled those situations before. So even though it's the first time at Keeneland, and Keeneland has had big events before, and They've handled big crowds, and the Breeders' Cup has done the same, and they work together on these things. Yeah, and, you know, when you go to Keeneland.com, you can see uh, kind of uh, photo phase of, of the construction. And when I first saw some of the stuff they were doing in the paddock, it really scared me because, as you know, it's a place that carries a, a lot of historical tradition to it. And But then when I got there last week and I went and I walked around, I went up the third floor and took some photos, they really did a good job, and you can hardly tell they touched it. Uh, they just kind of cleaned up that one stone stabling area where it seems more and more trainers prefer to saddle their horses. It's a little bit more private and calmer, and so they put in some more walkways there. But other than that, uh, you can hardly tell that they've, that they've made any changes. So if anybody can put together a class act and get it done, I'm sure it's the folks at Keeneland. No, I'm looking forward to being there. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Uh, well, coming in, winning your in Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf. Somebody's going to get a ticket by winning the Rodeo Drive, going a mile and a quarter on the turf. And i got to admit, there's a Philly in there that's hard not to like. And actually, she's a mare, and that's hard not to like. Yeah, I mean, she's done very well. She already came out here earlier this year and won uh the uh you know won the stake race the uh the gamely at Santa Anita back in May and had a couple of months off and won the Diana so she's won a couple of grade one races and she ran a, a decent enough race I thought earlier this year uh in the Jenny Wiley uh, at Keeneland so we know that she can do well at that track and you know on paper she deserves to be the favorite but th- this is really probably the best gambling race on the card Saturday it's a big yeah. field it's a pretty wide open field you, I think you can make a legitimate case for several others in here. Uh, for me, one of the ones that I think is going to do very well is Electrum. Yes. Uh, she's just continued to progress for John Sadler and pointed for the John Maybe and won that race. Uh, she didn't have the best of trips when hard not to like beat her in the, in the game way. And she just seems to be improving steadily as the year's gone on. And I think the extra distance is going to help her as well. So I, I look for her to run uh, an improved race in, uh, in, in the Rodeo Drive on Saturday. And I'll give you a horse who's kind of stepping up in class here, but I thought we had a sneaky good race last time, and that star act. Uh, it was only her second start since switching barns, and she beat a first-level allowance field in, in her first start going longer. And she ran it. It was a stake race last time, uh, and she ran well in it. Uh, against horses that are not as good as the one she's running against, but 
I think she's going to really appreciate getting some pace to run into it. She hasn't had any pace to run into it in her last couple of starts, so I'm looking for, for Star Act to, to run a lot better in that race. Yeah, and I do think, again, of the races that we've uh, been discussing um, with uh, Jay Pribbon from the Daily Racing Forum, uh, that this is one that's, that's a, kind of a, a, a bettable race. Um, how about this Fantacola? On the outside, I mean, you talk about a mare that's always there. I mean, she should get a piece of it, and she's only been favored once in her last 10 starts that I can see. Well, certainly, if you like Hard Not to Like, you have to give Santa Cola a big chance. I mean, Hard Not to Like was barely beat her uh, in that race earlier this year when she came out here and and won. I mean, Santa Cola is an extremely unlucky loser uh, in in that race, uh, in in, in the game, Lee. Uh, She did everything but win the race. Uh, but she's drawn wide. It's a mile and a quarter. You really take the worst of it when you're when you're out in that post because you're coming down a, a bend at the first eighth of a mile or so of the race. Uh, and I'm not sure that a mile and a quarter is her best distance. I mean, she's really versatile. She's she's effective anywhere from six and a half to a mile and a quarter. But I think a mile to a mile and eighth is more her sweet spot. Yeah, she just missed by a nose on the mile and a quarter at Santa Anita. In the Santa Barbara handicap, that was a Grade Three, and uh, that was against Queen in the Sand, who's in this race, and she's had some awful close calls herself. You may get a price there. You will. I, I was a little disappointed in her last time, John. Uh, she's always done very well at at Del Mar, and I thought she was going to run a lot better in that race last time out. To me, she was a little bit disappointing that day. So I'm wondering if maybe she's starting to tail off a little bit. So that's why I hadn't mentioned her earlier um, but there's just others in this race i like a little bit more than queen of the stand in this spot how about charlotte ray the your delmar oaks winner well i mean this is going to be a tough spot i think running against older for the first time i mean beating her eminency is is a little different kettle of fish than what she's going to be in against this time but <laughs> uh you know she's she's gotten a lot better uh she wasn't disgraced when she went back to new york and ran in the in the Belmont Oaks against Lady Eli. And I think it just goes to show how good Lady Eli is. So many horses were coming out of those races after being well beaten and were winning races in their own right next time. But this, this is a, a much tougher spot for her. Uh, she's got to finally now step up and run against older for the first time. And I think it's, it's going to be a, a, a tough, a much tougher task for her than what she's been doing. Well, it's going to be a tough race, period, and we move on to the final race. We've got about three and a half minutes left, and that's the awesome again, a grade one. It's a winning your end for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, if you can put a line through hard aces uh, last race against Beholder, I think that horse uh, may hold a good hand. And then you've got the two head scratchers, Jay, Opportunity and Bayern from the Baffert Barn. What do you make of these horses that just don't seem to be themselves before? Well, I mean, in the situation, in the case of Bayern, I mean, he's, he was caught up in just a brutally hot pace last time. I mean, he and the horse who went with in Midnight Storm, they finished ninth and 10th respectively in the Pacific Classic. They just burned each other out. And you'll notice in this race, there's just not as much pace in here as what he's run against. And the other thing with, with Byron is that he's never lost at Santa Anita before, including when he won the Breeders' Cup Classic last fall. So yeah. even though his form this year is pretty ugly, uh, I think on paper he's the horse to beat in here. But there's a lot of horses in here. Like you mentioned, Opportunity, who just looks like maybe he's not quite as good as he once was. Several others in here who maybe are a little bit past their prime. And I'll, I'll give you a long shot in here that I think is going to 
really outrun his odds. And that smooth roller, uh, who is making his graded stakes debut, but he had a really brutal trip last time in the Brubaker at Del Mar. He, he was acting like a ding-dong before the start in the gate, and then he just went to his face at the start. He got back into the race while wide and ran the kind of race where a horse is supposed to give it up the last quarter mile of a race, and he really hung in there and wasn't beaten badly at all. And he's come back to work well. And there's some others in here who I think might be a little over the top, whereas this guy's lightly raced and still on the improve. And I, I really think he's got a chance to pull off the upset in here. Well, really, in his lifetime, you know, as light as it's been, three starts with with the two wins, and uh, the the one that you just mentioned in the uh, Brubaker was only beaten uh, a length and a quarter, and as you said, the horse was fractious and it, and it stumbled at the start. Uh, certainly is legitimate, especially when you got some horses in there that that may be vulnerable. Um, again, uh, what, what's your read on Hard Aces? Uh, a horse who uh, seems to like Santa Anita and can win at the distance. Well, he, he he did, but he ran a good race when he won the Gold Cup back in June, and then he had a couple months off going into the Pacific Classic. He just never fired that day. His trainer, John Sadler, told me that he thought he didn't like the track down there. It was his first and only start there, so perhaps that's the case. But I think he needs a real hot pace to set up his late run, and, and maybe he needs a little farther than, than a mile and an eighth. Uh, so I'm a little bit torn on what to do with him. I, I like Byron, and especially, as I mentioned, Smooth Roller a little bit better. Certainly, he part eight has a chance to bounce back with a good one, but I wouldn't rank him on my rankings any higher than, than third best going in. Well, uh, thanks so much, Jay Privman, for, for your input. All I know is a lot of people... Uh that are on Eastern Standard Time are going to be staying at the races late on Saturday because you just got way too many good races out there at Santa Anita. It's going to be a terrific day. Five grade ones, all winning your in race. Well, uh, winning your in, and we're talking to a winner in Jay Pribman. Jay, look forward to seeing you down in Lexington on Breeders' Cup Week. All right, Sean. I'll look forward to seeing you then, too, my friend. Okay, we've been talking with uh, Jay Privman, a multiple award-winning writer, a great handicapper, and a good overall guy for sure, just as is Matt Bernier, and we're going to see Matt on the Breeders' Cup broadcast, um, and I appreciate both of them taking time to talk with us on Winning Ponies. Don't forget to pull down your easy win forms. We've been knocking them dead. So thanks for listening. Pass the word on to your friends. Remember, if you couldn't listen tonight, you can always listen on podcasts. So as I look out the press box window over the manicured turf course past the Ohio River to the hills of Kentucky, I want to thank you for listening, and I want to remind you to bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.